Hello and welcome. Thank you for tuning in again to the I Get Buckets podcast. My name is Simon Harris and I'm your host. As always, we are rapidly getting through the recap of each team that have drafted in the I Get Buckets League to give a preview of all the players taken in the lead up now to the 22-23 NBA basketball season. We are getting through it as quickly as possible to make sure all of these pods are out in time for tip-off, which is a week and one day away now. So really kind of looking at basketball coming at us fast. So we're looking at team number seven this week and we're getting through things um, ready to go. I'm loving it. I'm having a great time and I hope everyone's enjoying listening to these podcasts. We've got an interesting team again this time round. Team pick 10. Don't let that confuse you. Name is now changed to Beal the Rhythm. And we're going we're gonna to beal our way through this podcast and, and hopefully, you know, get a lot of good thoughts down, um, ready, um, anticipating what I think will be a competitive team moving forward and some good selections and some ones that I want to kind of highlight a few along the way. But um, as I said, you know, rapidly, always this team that was drafting from pick 10. Last year, we did the 10th team, um, you know, early in the podcast series, just to give um, Coach a, a chance to, to listen to his team early, given that he's always been at pick 10. But crazy enough, pick seven this year, which is, you know, a, a huge improvement from from the past, given the luck that he had with the Royal Rumble um, draft outcomes that we do. So it's a, it's a fun one going forward here and maybe not the ideal year for a pick seven, but um, I think he's kind of landed exactly where I would have gone um, at this position here. I think there's there's no point beating around the bush. We're going to jump right into it. And he's picked out um, Ja Morant ideally, you know, as someone that he wants to build his team around in a cornerstone. And if you did listen to the last podcast, I had a little bit of a uh, a preamble recap about where I would have headed after the top four and this group of kind of young players that I think are the the face of the franchise who are looking at a team that is going to be successful, who's going to get this, you know, real kind of weight of usage rate, who like, I could see, you know, realistically making that jump from, from elite to top, top tier kind of basketball players. And Ja Morant, you know, I had very um, high on that list of, of young players that I think that could do that. So behind potentially your Jason Tatum and maybe your Trey Young. And the only reason why I did chop and change John Morant in my top 10 a little bit was because the injuries have gone over, you know, the the impact that John Morant has had fantasy-wise over the past couple of years. Obviously, there's a lot of rhetoric in terms of his impact to the actual Memphis basketball team, and they've kind of kept winning um, in a regular season capacity when he's been out. But there's no really doubt about him being, a, you know, upper echelon superstar at this point, and someone that I'm very happy to kind of um, hitch my bandwagon into and right at the top of um, you know the draft from moving forward here. So I think this is a real kind of. Um, you know, find and, and see kind of season for Ja Morant if he is this bona fide kind of top 10, top 7 kind of guy. Um, I do think that the answer is going to be uh, really come to the front as a yes, um, as long as he can stay on the court. Um, and a lot of these injuries, they're not um, degenerative kind of like issues with his knee or his back or his ankle. It, it does feel that they're more 
in response to the way he plays. Um, so I do think in terms of exercise, sports science and analytic, like the way that they'll work with these players a little bit to kind of um, try to build in these prevention mechanisms as much as possible. You don't want to kind of change the way he plays and you do want to give him this free license to be this athletic beast of a, a player moving forward. Um, but I, I do think there's these mechanics things that they they will kind of talk about and, and work through with Jar, given that, you know, he's this, you know, multi-million dollar kind of investment from the team and he wants to be there when, when it matters most to, to help his team and to play basketball. So the fact that I don't think a lot of the injuries that he's had are, are things that um, are these ongoing kind of issues, problems that were going to pop up during the, the normal kind of wear and tear of a season. I do think it's more, um, you know, the the incident kind of occurring that, you know, with, uh, you know, as much luck as possible is, is going to allow him to have a, a healthy season. So I think on the back of that, the fact that he averaged 30.9 last year, I think the Grizzlies have kind of, shortened their rotation a little bit with some of the key players. Um, and I think that, you know, the likes of John Morant will be encouraged and expected to do even more than what they've, you know, what he's done in the past. So I did think this was exactly where I'd take him. I had him at big pick seven and he's gone there. So I think very healthily, I like building my team around Jar moving forward. So um, moving to the next one for build the rhythm and it's a DeMontis Sabonis pick at number 14. So, ex-Indiana Pacer. So, um, bit of a still a homer pick maybe from Coach, who's a Pacers fan. But um, we've seen, I like, you know, the fact that he went to Sacramento and kind of showed everything that he was still doing there. Um, you know, not being kind of next to, to Miles Turner is, um, made some of the kind of the question marks on on how the minute share goes a little bit easier. I know they've got a few kind of big men, but then Marvin Bagley was traded, and I think we've well and truly moved past you know a couple of seasons ago on on what the role is and what's the ceiling for Demantis Sabonis to firmly the fact that I think he's in a position where he does exactly what he does. Um, very offensively gifted with the mid range and the post moves and the old school kind of basketball taken after his father. Um, it all kind of really paves its way into fantasy really healthily. The rebounds are there. Even the, the passing is, you know, fantastic for someone of his size and the position he plays. And, you know, while it not, it may not be as, you know, a, a fun and interesting to watch Sabonis and some of it because he's been on a bit of a, you know, down teams and not performing as well. If you're an owner, it's it's magic to kind of watch how quickly he kind of racks up fantasy points as a, a per 36 kind of guy. And he, he plays a lot of those minutes. So I think, you know, offensively, the, the game that they've, you know, seen with, with him kind of going off De'Aaron Fox was was really good. And even though they were defensively, you know, atrocious last year in the back end and they'll be looking to fix a little things, I, I'm not worried as long as they can show as a team Sacramento offensively that they're going to give you so much um, in that top five kind of offense way that Demantis Sabonis is in those bracket, I think I said mentioned last time, of, of big guys that I think that I'm really willing to take early to um, late or any time in round two. Um, Sabonis I had at 15 on my board. He's gone 14 here. So the first two picks are, are translating really what I feel comfortable with um, out of the first two rounds. So um, fine with all of that. The first one that I think is a little bit interesting and someone who I did think was going to go around this mark, but I wasn't 
really willing to, and I was, I was happy for someone else to take him, is, is Bradley Beal here at pick 27. So inspiration for the name, Beal, the rhythm. We know kind of what Bradley Beal is on his best day, but um, and we know that Washington has in, invested in him in this like kind of long-term max contract. Um, no trade clause things, which is, you know, insane given he's been the name on everyone's lips as the most gettable kind of superstar out there. I think, you know, Washington are, uh, are happy to kind of pay him and, and keep the asset and, you know, see kind of what happens down the lane. And I, I, I think Bradley Beal's looking about his paycheck rather than some of the success, even though he might, you know, say that, you know, they think Washington's in a position to push for playing and playoffs and, you know, he's going to be back healthy this year. I think the idea of Bradley Beal is really good and why he's kind of gone even 12 to 13 in years past. Um, a real dynamic kind of shooting guard that is, you know, heavily relied on in the Washington team to do a bit of everything. I guess the big problem on my end is, you know, he's healthy, he hasn't really kind of been around the team. I think even though they've vested all his money in him, I, I do think they're kind of moving past the idea of Bradley Beal and building around him in a, in a capacity of a, a real successful team and more, okay, we're going to bring in pieces and see what kind of sticks. And, and Bradley Beal's still our best player, but we know that we're capped um, in the capacity of, of having him as our number one. So I think that, you know, throughout some of the, the offense and, and, you know, strats and, um, I guess, plays that they want to do, I do think they're going to highlight a lot of people within the team to kind of see what they got. Um, and while I think Bradley Beal's creative enough that when he's on the floor, they're still going to, you know, run ISO plays and let him kind of cook and he's got a license to shoot as much as possible. You know, someone with the, you know, off the dribble as well as catch and shoot shooting stats that um, whatever they are, you know, the, the eye test is really good and consistently it's been very healthy. Um, the idea of his 25.2 average last year, um, I think you could sell yourself on the fact that last year was a bit down because of health and, you know, a 25.2 is low on what you're going to get. Um, if you're picking him at 27 here and that's your logic, I um, think it's, you know, a good risk. Um, I'm not 100% sold that we're going to see this huge um, re you know, come back Bradley Beal season. So I had him at 37, um, very willing for other people to take him and then kind of go some of these option, other options that are out there. But as I kind of said, if, if things click a little bit, he's, you know, the number one option there. Um, a little bit kind of like Paul George, who has missed a lot of time, um, you know, in the past couple of seasons, but very dynamic you know, scorer and, and person that, you know, is going to give you a lot of fantasy output. Um, I'm just a little bit concerned that it all comes together just based on what we've seen, you know, the past year. Um, again, he looks like he's fit, he's healthy, he's going to play. I've just moved past the idea that he's this, you know, elite guy. And if you take him in the third round, that's enough of a, a cushion to, to say, well, you don't think he's, you know, the top two elite as well. He's just in this bracket. I've just moved a little bit further down the road in terms of where I'd where I'd place him, but I think you know it's it's still quite healthy if he can give you something around of, of what you got last year. So it's 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 it is what it is. Maybe fractionally in my perspective, but um, yeah, I wouldn't be too worried about about what you're getting. Um, it's just you've passed on, you know, the likes of 
Anthony Edwards, Ingram, DeRozan, who've gone, you know, in then three of the next four picks. So they're they're the kind of brackets of of where you want Bradley to make sure he hits this year um, to be competitive with a lot of the other teams and players that you're going to first. So um, there, I think Jimmy Butler, a lot of some of the similar stuff kind of come in in terms of um, he's been injured, you know, and, and missed games. Less of a continual thing, but more specifically, you know, last season and in the regular season that, that really kind of made him a, a harder own. But um, I think at pick 34, it's a relatively um, ideal position to get someone of his stature that, you know, really is the heart and soul of a Miami team that finished first in the East last year and is, is going to give you very well-rounded kind of um, fantasy output. Obviously, the offense is, is where I kind of hit him hard last year in the recaps and I was, I think he went at, um, in round three, maybe early round three, I was pretty down on it. And the fact that he averaged twenty eight point one, still scored sixteen hundred, you know, points over the season, but you know, really missed key kind of weeks. Came back to 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 bite, but I think you know this round later it gives you a little bit of cushion um, that even if you know last year is you know roller coaster kind of comes back a little bit, he's still in a firm position to give you. Um, you know, everything that Jimmy Butler gives you on a night-to-night basis. So I think the 28.1 average last year is pretty safe. Um, he has surprised in years previous where, you know, he has in his, his later kind of age at Miami, you know, pushed that 30 average mark. I wouldn't be shocked if he did that, if Miami won a lot of games and he did a lot of that without the scoring. Um, and then, you know, he has these big games when, he actually takes, you know, two or three threes and, you know, hits a couple of them and it opens up a lot of the lanes and stuff and he's he's committed to kind of getting to the, the basket because I think there is some games where he's happy to take other people, let other people take a, a huge offensive role. But I think the key thing is at 34, it's a really solid kind of bet on someone who is, is tried and proven and, and very trustworthy. I had him at 29, um, and I think, you know, it's a really it's really healthy, you know, round out to the top four here of, of four guys that I think can give you a lot and have been crafted relatively where they probably should be. That leads us neatly into his next pick at round five. So number 47, we have Jonas Valanciunas, which um, we could go into a couple of things with him, which I find worthwhile to talk about. I think this potentially is the first time ever that, you know, I... And the way it's kind of gone in draft, we've seen teams have almost like four players each, you know, go in the top 50. So I had um, four players from the New Orleans Pelicans and four players from Cleveland Cavaliers in my top 50. Um, and I guess the, the really interesting one with with Jonas Valanciunas is, again, I, I had a hard kind of grip in terms of where I would kind of rate a few of the guys. Um, and this is all coming through with the, the impact of Zion Williamson coming back into the team and, and what that looks like. So obviously, you know, with the Zion experience a couple of seasons ago, it was really much uh, a point Zion kind of way forward with, with coach Stan Van Gundy. But, you know, Zion really did most of his damage um, from point guard, really, you know, going downhill and, and attacking the basket and the offensive putbacks and he's just pure strength and rebounding and everything like that. So in the absence of of Zion last year, 
you know, we, we saw Jonas Valanciunas doing what he does best and, and working kind of the block and the putbacks and the nice kind of offensive rebounds and, the, you know, him averaging 11 rebounds a game on the way to, you know, a very, very healthy fantasy average of 27 on the dot, um, you know, really pushing him at times um, throughout the first, you know, third of the season as a, a top 10 fantasy guy. So it's been... Two years removed, I think two years ago, I was quite down on Jonas Valanciunas and he came back to hurt me. And last year, I didn't make the same mistake. I was actually very, very high in saying, you know, this was one of, um, I think it was Team Walsh's best picks last season and it did come to fruition. Um, some of that obviously was said without the the know-with-all that Zion was going to miss the whole season. Um, I still think Jonas holds a lot of his pedigree and what he does best. I do think if we see a healthy Zion moving forward, it impacts a bit of the the rebounding and and the way he can kind of gear his um, his points, he might become a little bit more efficient, but he's going to have to stretch the floor a little bit. I think we see saw a lot of games where he kind of just kind of not empty stats, but kind of um, real automatic fantasy output by just you know purely being on the court and kind of being in the right positions and playing the system that they did. So I think he's not going to be afforded this real kind of floor of rebounds and points by, you know, not having his his position kind of in the court given the the real gravity that that, that Zion's going to command. So um, I do think it's a it's a good pick because you're still getting what we've seen as a, a super kind of bankable um, fantasy player that I think is going to you know, exist and, and, and play his role to a degree. The 27, you know, may translate down, but I still couldn't put him further behind or back than, than 41 on my big board. So that's where I think I was comfortable with him. So 47 here feels like, again, a very reasonable pick in the right kind of um, spot for Jonas. Um, it did kind of feel obviously that Zion really needed to be the first Pelican picked and, and then, Ingram, Jonas, and McCollum. That's kind of where I, I had the four um, down, and that's the order that they went. Um, but it did it did feel that you could really kind of sell me on either of those last kind of three based on Ingram being this kind of real force, young kind of focus. The scoring's a lot, you know, <laughs> more intangible. Then Jonas had the best average of all of them, and then CJ McCollum really kind of... Ended the season on such kind of a heat streak that made you know he was he was the kind of guy to own for for you know a twenty game stretch. So it did feel like a hard one to place, but I think the way I felt was probably similar to a lot of people, and and, and was the way that translated. And I think Coach Adam um, here was able to to bring in someone of real value at round five that I can get behind, and I I, I don't think there's really. A huge way that his average can't, you know, bottom out too much below, like your 23, 24, um, and that's the floor. And if you get that from round five, it's um, it still kind of builds you in a position where you can be successful. So I'm, I'm happy with that one moving forward. The one that I do have a lot more question marks around um, is his next pick at 54 with Miles Turner. So I have had, you know, discussions with Coach around his thoughts and it is um, what 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 they think is going to be a big, big, big year for Miles Turner. And I, I think it's less of, you know, just thinking that he, he has, you know, shown a lot of signs in terms of what he can do and, and but more, you know, okay, moving forward to this modern M- NBA, this is the, you know, the, the archetype of, of what 
is desired in a big man that, you know, can spread the floor and shoot threes and still, you know, run the court and is a real rim protector and block shots. And, you know, we've been really high on Miles Turner in the past and kind of been down on him, um, you know, in the past few years, I think, collectively or at least personally. But some of that I don't think is probably fair in terms of what we've seen, his impact on the court and his fantasy numbers. It's more been... um, some of the things that the Pacers are doing in injury and obviously with Sabonis moving out, you know, he does feel like he's commanding, you know, a really kind of healthy fantasy role for the Pacers moving forward. But obviously there's a real question mark on his trade potential and where he fits in long-term. So I guess the idea is that he's going to be afforded a a lot of opportunity early um, to maybe showcase his trade value and, see if the price is right to kind of move him by the deadline. But, I mean, we have been saying this for a couple of years now and it hasn't come to fruition. So I do think that, you know, there's, a, you know, whether it's 50-50 or even a more likely um, possibility that Miles Turner, you know, stays with the India and a Pacers long term, I think in fantasy that would be the best um, scenario for, for someone owning him, that he can kind of stay and really look at his average of 21.4 last year and say that's a floor of what I want and I can do more here. And I think unless Pace is like really want to kind of ship him and turn into the tank, um, he's going to be good, but that's the downside. The downside is that, you know, a, a competitor who's looking to, you know, push for a, a real deep playoff run pays the price that Pacers want to get um, a real kind of, a center who can do the things that everyone wants in terms of shooting and rim protection and that they, the paces, you know, do lean into the tank in this Wembenyana race um, to the bottom and, you know, the likes of Isaiah Jackson and even um, Jalen Smith push to, to make this, you know, um, fill the fantasy role that, that Miles Turner had. Um, so I think there's a little bit of competitiveness to start, but um, I can buy into the the expectation that he's going to do all of these things. But I'll, I'll, all the things that were kind of mentioned there make me quite hesitant to take him um, at this point. So at round 54, I do um, get a little bit worried. The fact that it was taken one before Nikola Vucevic, for me, I think would would have been a mistake. And, and um, you know, Vucevic, I did have quite a lot higher than, than Miles Turner on my board. I'm, I'm potentially quite down on him compared to, to others. So I am very open to being sold on what it looks like. And I do expect it to look good um, to open the season. I guess my think is his long term. I was was worried about how it can, you know, can go and if it kind of gets turned into a way where his, his fantasy values, you know, slash significantly. So I had him at 79 on my board, which I think is obviously significantly lower than where he's been taken here. Um, I just think I was looking at this, you know, point to play it a little bit safe because, yeah, the likes of uh, McCollin and Christian Wood and even Jalen Brunson were still available in this round, which I I felt um, there's a a real more viable leap for them, um, I guess, coming into the season. So I'm not not out on it completely, but... Um, it does stand out as a player that's gone significantly earlier than I was I was looking to take him here. So next on round seven, uh, teams picked Jalen Green. So we got pick 67. Um, 
I do think it's early, but again, I can kind of get behind the idea of Jalen Green and the Houston Rockets and what it's going to look like in his second year here. So um, he's one that I did have down highlighted as a real interesting one to kind of get at the right time. Um, I had him at 82. So the fact that he's gone here at 67, I do think is a couple of rounds earlier than what I was looking at it, but that by no means um, would say that it's it's not a, a good risk to kind of take here. We've seen you know a lot of people willing um, to go young in these mid rounds and get paid off, and not only you know he's not coming off his rookie year. I think he's, he's looking at building off everything that he did, and we've seen the glimpses. It's just kind of piecing it piecing it together. I guess my issue was that even though I think he is the future at the Houston Rockets, it's not by like a landslide. He hasn't shown, you know, astronomically like that he is the guy to build around. I still think he needs to to show that. And there's there is a lot of pieces still at Houston, and they're figuring out what they're gonna do. I, you know, I don't think they're gonna be great. I think his average of sixteen point five last year, you know, was quite disappointing for people who who took him early last year, thinking he's gonna be this. Um, ready-made, you know, NBA kind of scorer guy. And it, it does feel like while the three-point shot in the highlights and the dunks look good, when you watch him over the course of a whole, you know, game, um, he can go missing and the shot percentages need to get better. And he doesn't have a lot of other kind of things to his game to the to the level of taking him here. Like it's there in terms of the passing and the IQ and the handle, but it's still quite raw. Um, they're just... There's, it needs to be like um, his, his edges need to be softened a little bit for him to grow. And I think I don't know how much I love Houston as a place for him to, to really blossom at this stage. But I mean, all that saying, I, I really liked him as a prospect. I just would have loved him a couple of rounds later. But I do think these are the make or break picks that can really kind of vault you up if it does you know happen that Jalen Green becomes this you know most improved kind of um guy in the league, which I think he would be in that category of, of candidates to put up his hand and, and really significantly improve on his average. I just, um, yeah, I don't know how much I would buy on that uh, into that um, to, to take him at round seven. But I think he's really one, a piece that you'd want to kind of add to your team. Um, round eight is um, Anthony Simon. So pick 74. I think a lot of what I said about Jalen Green um, translates a little bit, but I'm, I'm further down the road with Anthony Simons. I think, you know, we've had numerous years in a row of of what is he beyond the talent and the shooting and how does it fit in? Um, and then we kind of see it kind of come to, to the front last year in a way that I can really get behind and, and want to invest in. I guess the, the downside is that, you know, before he got injured, he was playing this role where he was – an amazing fantasy contributor with four other guys on the court that I'd struggle to remember who their names were. Even if he told me, you know, <laughs> what their names were on a list of 10 people, I couldn't pick out the NBA players from that list. That's like the level of in the toilet Portland were kind of going to um, with no Lillard and Nurkic. And, you know, whether he's properly injured or not, they really had to kind of yank him from the team because he was too good um, for that. So I think in some way you can forget to the, the extreme levels is what he's doing. But what I can buy into is that CJ McCollum's not there and we've seen what can work in a, 
um, backcourt duo with Damian Lillard with someone with Anthony Anthony Simons' skill set and the, the shooting is you know very very high it's you know I say you know the shooting comes to the party on a, a lot of plays here but you know Anthony Simons it's it's upper echelon elite kind of statistic stuff on his catch and shoot and he has the bag to kind of go off the dribble and pull up and um, he's adding elements to his game last season where we, we know that he's he's more of a, a scorer and I do think he can play that kind of point guard role if they um, share the minutes distribution with Lily like we saw McCollum. So I do think that he's 16.9 average last year. You can kind of push to the side and say um, just because of role alone, it's going to be closer to that, you know, 18-20 as a baseline. And then if you're really thinking that he's taking another step forward, that's where it really kind of picks up um, a lot. So I had him at where is it 67 on my board so a 74 feel feel really good about that so as much as I thought Jalen Green was early um and this is all personal I think Anthony Simons is late if you switch them in those two rounds I feel really comfortable about that and you know the fact that you're gonna both it doesn't really matter now so collectively um I'm quite happy with the addition of these two guys in round seven and eight if you look at it in isolation, obviously I want I think one one's late, one's early, um, but I think I can really get behind adding this kind of youth direction in these middle rounds for people who are going to command a, a lot of minutes in bad teams, maybe. But you know, pushing that kind of fantasy projection for your team forward. Next, we have Andrew Wiggins. So I think the fact that you can say that you've added the second best player in a final series potentially to your team um, at round 80, I'll pick 87, automatically feels quite good and quite healthy. I guess, obviously, Andrew Wiggins is what he is, but I would, you know, really kind of be no qualms, no worries that after you've gone too risky, younger kind of plays here that we're just going to add in a value pick that people have left behind that I know year after year people are, you know, met on that, you know, continues to deliver. And I think what we've seen last year in the final series, I I mean, I think that was always kind of a piece of what his game was. It's not like I think, oh, this is, you know, a sign of how good he's going to be to the team and we're just going to build from that. But, I mean, I do think it's good to kind of see it come together in the way that it did that makes me feel that his 19.4 average is you know, a very replicable and what you're going to get. So I had him an 88 on my board behind a lot of these guys that I think, you know, will take a step, but that's as as, as much of the um, Andrew Wiggins slander that I was going to do. So um, in 87 here, uh, you bang on. I'm very, very comfortable. Next pick is Gordon Hayward. So it's it's obvious everyone knows the injury risk that's here. Um, but he, he's at that point where you feel happy to to put in a player who is, you know, arguably the second best player on the Hornets, someone that's on a big contract, someone that's, you know, been there, done that. Um, I'm a little bit out on the consistency now, even when he's healthy. Um, I, I found myself kind of keep wanting to bump him down on my rankings because the earlier we invested him, the more likely it's going to, you know, bite you in the butt. Um, and because I, I, you know, have made that mistake before, it's 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 something that I, I didn't want to get super involved with. 
until he kind of really fell to me. And I think at this point, he hasn't fallen to you. You've taken him kind of where his stats, you know, project him to, which makes me worried. But again, if he can stay healthy, there's no Miles Bridges. Whether that kind of kicks back to a, collectively a lot of other people, I do think they're going to rely on his scoring and his leadership and, and stuff to do. And, you know, automatically already, you know, with a mellow ball potentially missing a few weeks to start the season, um, I think they they want to, to look to Gordon Hayward as much as possible. So, you know, at pick 94 here, I had him at quite close to where it was, I think, if I can just find him. 93. So, yeah, it's kind of where someone was going to take him. I'm just a little bit okay with the fact that it's not me because every time it's like, this is the year he's going to reward the faith. You know, he's, you know, a guy that is before his broken leg, you know, a top four kind of um, around player, but we've just, we haven't seen it put together. So hopefully, you know, he gives you these big weeks that, that make things really kind of tick over um, well to get you wins on the board. But uh, there's there's this real world that, you know, you don't want to risk it before round 12 or so because, you know, there's a lot of quality still left, um, including the quality that you've brought in with round 11. So we get 107 is Cole Anthony. So the point guard rotation at, at Magic is... Um, not weird, but hard to peg down fantasy-wise because we've had Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, and Mark Fultz all kind of feel like options. Um, but it, it was the kind of thinking that, you know, Cole Anthony can play more, you know, shooting guard as well and fit in around a lot of the pieces because I know even though they invested a, an early draft pick, it does feel that what we've seen from him lends himself more to this kind of microwave scorer rather than like something to to really invest and lead a team at the point card position um, has kind of made it a little bit clearer that fact that Suggs and Mark Alfultz are both injured. So I think he's kind of catch a break in it really being a good pick to start the season. At the time, I did, you know, have a little bit of a concern whether, you know, him or, or Suggs or um, Fultz were the really right options. But I think based on what he did last year and his average of 19.8. I did have him as the first of the three, um, slightly ahead of Suggs and then, you know, around or two earlier than Markel Fultz. Just given his history, I thought you could get him quite late. Um, so I think it was the safe option out of the three. I think it's, you know, looking like the, the right option out of the three. Um, I think he's 19.8. If he can get the usage, um, is very, very healthy and, um, you know, replicable. Um, we'll see when guys come back. That's that's all I want to say. <laughs> we'll keep it. We'll keep it mysterious. Um, next, Dylan Brooks. A lot of people don't like Dylan Brooks. Fantasy wise, he kind of jumped off. Um, you know, often on the waiver wire last year. I think he fits a real need at Memphis as a bit of a dog. He's. Um, can assimilate to the five lineups that they um, five five men rotations that they roll out quite well because I think he can handle he can play the two he can really guard the three and play you know that in small ball if you want him to um, I think he's not afraid of the moment I think internally they like what he gives in 
you know, the system as long as he's not shooting as much. And that's kind of been the, the knock of, of him being overly confident with some of the stuff. But, you know, I do think he defends, you know, the best player a lot of the time, as long as they're not too big um, and kind of do this three and D um, with a little bit extra on it. So he, he wasn't someone that I was really targeting because I think he does kind of top out as, you know, the fourth or fifth option at um, Memphis because we're thinking of, you know, this this vault from a few other guys that have a little bit more to, to offer offensively. But he, he is someone that, you know, I think rounds off teams really well. I just, I think he would have been better scored in the last couple of rounds because I think not many other people were like really looking to, to add him. But I do think if he plays to his strengths and kind of, looks at you know you look at what he did last year that this is this is fine an average of 17.9 um that he repays 12 but i do think personally at this moment i was looking more of a home run swing and less a safer kind of option so if you do think you know he's going to give what i want on a night to night basis that props up some of the other you know risks i've taken that i'm comfortable but i did think you could you could get him in the last couple of rounds. I wasn't, you know, really, really super enthused about adding him into my team and, and what it looks like, but it's fine. Next, we have Tim Hardaway Jr., which feels similar in terms of a guy that bounces on and off the, the wire. Um, he's, he's a couple of seasons removed for where he, he really kind of dug his heels in and, and showed us what it looks like when it comes together with the scoring. Um, the idea is Jalen Brunson isn't there. Can we really trust him? We they didn't have Tim Hardaway Jr. and they're really looking forward to having him back. He's not just a you know a chucker. There's a lot to his game that I think's underrated. Um, the counting numbers you know have come in a couple of seasons before. He's less risky than he has been previously when he's been up and down. Um, so I'm kind of okay with it. He's he's another one that I didn't really have on my radar until late. Um, and I was thinking, you know, he may be a last couple of round sneaky ad. So in that aspect, again, I think it's it's a, a safe, unrisk kind of ploy that's maybe, you know, around early where you could have gone otherwise. But again, you could talk me into him. Um, I... You could always say I would have liked it more around later. That's an obvious statement. So um, um, I think it's fine. Uh, next, and we're getting to the end nearly. Uh, so he's going to he's gonna end a couple of these risky um, paces picks. So I guess if you're thinking around the logic of I you know what my last two rounds are going to be, I've got these paces, you know, guys that I don't think are going to get picked really unless I'm surprised and I'm, really comfortable taking him in the last two. So if I know those two are there, okay, who are the guys that I really like in the next couple of picks that are going to give me a real, you know, just solid one to round out my team. So if that's the thinking, I go Dylan Brooks, I go Tim Hardaway Jr. And then I risk it on a Benedict Matherin rookie for the Pacers, as well as adding last year's rookie that did show a lot, whether it was inconsistently in Chris Duarte. So if you spell it out with like that, um, I'm, I'm more on board, I think. Um, in isolation, I think Benedict Matherin is a good pick in the second last one. I think he's a lot more of an under-the-radar rookie, but even though he's going to come off the bench, 
I I do like his prospects and the fact that we've already spoken about Indiana potentially turning into the tank. Um, whether Buddy Heald, who I think is an easier one to kind of move for the paces, does get dealt um, and clear the way, you know, for, for Benedict Matherin coming forward. He's their highest draft pick. I think we, we worked out since something like 1989, something ridiculous like that. So the fact that they've brought him in, they really like him, you know, they've they've picked him high. Um, we've seen rookies kind of come on in the fact that you're very happy to risk it late. So I don't think he's going to light the word on fire early, um, but I think it's a, if he can give you enough to kind of keep on your roster, he could really build into the season in a way that um, will be really healthy for you. Chris Duarte I'm less excited about only because um, I think the more the season you know got on, um, the more it was okay if his shots aren't falling, um, where you know his his fantasy output really leveled out in the low teens, um, but I think you know he was ready to go as a mature age rookie last year, and that means like well this year I think he's still going to be a really nice addition to the rotation, but um, whether it's going to come on as much as some of these younger guys, and I think. Usually that, you know, generalization is unfair because people get ready at different ages and that's why he's, you know, drafted later. But, you know, it did feel he was ready-made coming through and there's a little bit of he is what he is as, you know, a really handy scorer and guy that's going to help out, um, bail you out on possessions and, um, you know, a relatively reliable defender and stuff. But I think, again, it's 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 hard to kind of imagine with where the pace is going and some of the other players that they got here that he's going to really, you know, light the world on fire or anything like that to the point of, I think, where he dropped a 30-something on the first um, game of last season. Um, yeah, expectations are tempered, but again, as I'll repeat myself, it's the last pick, so let's not go crazy. Um, but there you have it. That's a, another team in the book. So pick 10 slash pick 7 slash build a rhythm. I'm feeling okay. I think overall, his first five picks are, are very, very solid. I think they've all been taken in the right position. Obviously, a lot of the ones I want early, I'm hoping I can get them a little late, but everyone's rankings are different. And the fact that he's kind of gotten where he's got them, I think will build a really good base for him to, to kind of build off um, where the, the real concern comes from, what is, you know, is Miles Turner's role going to be, you know, what it is moving forward? And is Jalen Green um, going to come on in the way that you expect to take him as high as you did at round seven? Um, but we'll see how it goes. I think his best pick um, is Anthony Simons. I'm going to throw my weight behind that. I think that's a really healthy addition at 74 who can really potentially play himself into a top 50, especially if it Lillard gets hurt. I mean, touch wood, we don't want it, but... I think um, there's there's pathways for Anthony Simons to be a really, really good pick for him. Um, the worst pick, I will double down and just kind of go with Miles Turner because I think 54 is investing a lot of your draft capital in someone that has a lot of question marks. And I think there's a real belief of what he's going to be at the paces. And um, we've taken him with the firm belief of everything going right. And the NBA is, um, is not like that a lot of the time. So... Um, happy to be proven wrong, but I think Miles Turner is a hard one if it goes sour. Um, 
sleeper is probably Jalen Green. And we mentioned him before, but yeah, there's the variables. And the wild card, I think, is Gordon Hayward. So I think 94 is where he was going to go. And Adam, you know, took the ticket to the ride on, on the Hayward um, roller coaster. So we'll see if he plays and when he plays, um, what it's going to look like. Um, I imagine it's going to look really good in patches and maybe rough in patches too. But as long as he stays healthy, maybe it kind of really, you know, gives you a good value from where you've taken him. So that's another one done. We're going to get them all out by the start of the season and I hope everyone's enjoying um, what we're talking about here and getting excited for the kickoff of fantasy basketball for the I Get Buckets League. So thank you again. Uh, Make sure you tune into the next one and we'll see you then. Thanks everyone.